Welcome one and all to episode 128 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, the college football season is rolling along and more now than ever, I feel like the SEC championship is going to be the semifinals and then we'll get a national a rematch in the national championship. But before we get to that, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well as always, and uh, you touched on it. We've got uh, we're going to do our top five. We're gonna we've got a lot to talk about this week between this show and our Patreon show that's going to come out on Thursday. But um, if you missed last week, go check it out. We we did some rankings, and uh, that's worth checking out. And it's still timely, I think to do those rankings because I, I don't think we've really changed our opinions much within the past week. Uh, so again, check that show out if you didn't. That was uh, last week's episode. But Seth, uh, we're going to talk about draft uh, misses tonight and and what kind of goes into a draft miss. We're going to talk about a few games that are happening on uh, a couple games happening on Thursday and Friday that have some uh, potential prospects and even some maybe potential uh, college football playoff ramifications. But first, we are going to breeze through our top five, and it remains unchanged this week from last week's episode. Uh, Bama took care of business last week against Southern Miss, and they have a big home game this weekend against Ole Miss. And I think that's one of the games we are we have been most looking forward to since the season started. Yeah, uh, especially with the emergence of Matt Corral and and being discussed now at a high level from from people that kind of call some shots much more than than this little podcast. But you know, we're typically first ahead of these people. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, and on, on him, we, we might not have been. You know, we, we were a little bit of a – we were Matt Corral skeptics. But then as we, you know, as we said in our rankings last week, he was our QB2. He was actually your QB1. But, you know, collectively, I had him pushed down. But, you know, this is a game that uh, the, the tastemakers have put – had put Matt Corral on the map. He's now the Heisman front runner. It's very early still, and they had a bye last week. But uh, this is where he can really butter the bread, right? I mean, he's he's going to uh, either either his Heisman campaign is going to continue to take off, or maybe he's going to have one of those disastrous uh, five interception games like he had a couple of last year. I think he's actually going to play well. I think I think that uh, Ole Miss is going to give. We'll, we'll talk more about the Ole Miss game on the Patreon show. But I think they're going to put a little heat on Bama. Uh, next up, we got uh, Georgia still at number two. And again, this is a game we're going to preview on our Patreon show. So check that out. It's uh, just two bucks a month to listen to that. But they got a home game against number eight, Arkansas. All of a sudden, number eight, Arkansas. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, Georgia has looked like the best team in the country. Bama hasn't done anything to to uh, move down, but Georgia's just looked more dominant on on the defensive side of the ball, especially. I mean, they look like they are 
a special team this year. But that being said, we've seen that Clemson is really not very good this year. Um, so that win week after week actually looks worse. <laughs> and and there's never a bad win, but it doesn't look as impressive, I guess we should say, every other <laughs> every week as we move along in the season. But, damn, man, the, this Georgia team, they get their first, I would say, real test with this number eight Arkansas team who's offensively been very dynamic, um, both, you know, running and throwing the football. And it, they look to be a team that could give Georgia a test. I don't think there's really much to worry about, but I think that they're going to be able to give Georgia a test. And it's going to be the first real test we've seen for, for Georgia this year. And that includes that Clemson game because, like I said, just the longer the season goes along, the, the more clear it is um, that Clemson was not a contender this year and just didn't have all the all the tools that they needed. And, th- and that's true, but I, I do think the Clemson game was still a test because Clemson still looks like they have a good defensive squad. You know, their offense is, is struggling a, a ton right now. And that's another team, you know, we'll get into on on the patreon show when we do our saturday previews but and when we talk specifically about their quarterback but i still think it it was a test and it's strange and also exciting that arkansas has become a test because arkansas now with a couple wins over ranked teams they beat texas they beat texas a&m and and now they look like they're a team that can challenge georgia and i think you would agree with me on this as good as Georgia's looked, we're talking mostly about their defense. The offense is putting up points against the cupcakes, but when it comes to the tougher challenge, it's been the defense that really shines through. Yeah, and it's just been a lot of, you know, it's just been, it it just seems easy at this point. And, and maybe that's what I want to see is, you know, when they actually get tested. Because at some point, whether it's Bama in the, in the SEC championship game um, or, you know, in the college football playoffs, because unless they find, you know, they lose one of these games, they're going to the college football playoffs, even with a loss to, to Bama in, in the SEC championship game. They, they got it. I want to see them tested and see what they have uh, and how they respond. So number three, we continue to uh, hold on to Oregon there. They've they've beat Ohio State and really done nothing much else at this point. <laughs> but but they're in uh, the driver's seat, right? They're they're in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12 right now. Oh yeah. And, and if they can and if they can the, roll through, you know, with that non-conference win, if they can go undefeated in the Pac-12, they'll get in the playoff. Yeah, and and quite frankly, the Pac-12. You know, we talked about it early that maybe we were wrong. And then we watched <laughs> as it's gone along and we're like, well, maybe we're right. Uh, except for, uh, except about Oregon, really. Yeah, and I mean, they, they had a tough go against Fresno State. And we saw Fresno State beat UCLA, which was the other early darling from the Pac-12. But um, <clears throat> I, think going, I still think going on the road and beating Ohio State is still a 
big for them. Yeah, that because I, I still think Ohio State's got a pretty good chance to be a, a playoff team this year. Now they do, and and, and they do, and it, the next couple teams we are going to talk about have a, a say in that. But you know what we're talking about with Oregon is uh, with Clemson basically out of the picture at this point. You've got and, and you've got a looks like a vulnerable Oklahoma team in the Big Twelve. You've got an opening for the Pac-12, but Oregon needs to win pretty much all of their games. And right now, they have taken care of business. Number four, we stick with Iowa. Again, it's not so much that they've done anything extra. It's just that they've maintained after those you know, first two really impressive wins. Um, they get... An interesting game on Friday night that we're going to preview tonight uh, against Maryland and a Maryland team that's actually looked decent this year. Right, Maryland's 4-0, and Iowa has to go on the road and play a Friday night game. So Iowa um, still humming along, but it, and honestly, it looks like their offense is, is evolving. It's been their defense that's really made them, to, that's got them into the top five. But it, their offense is starting to evolve, and they're starting. We're starting to see more out of uh, Goodson and the running back, and more out of Sam Laporta, the tight end. And like Seth said, we'll touch more on that in a few. Uh, Penn State's number five, staying there. They've got a home game against Indiana on Saturday, and uh, Indiana seemed to kind of pull themselves out of the ashes last weekend and had a pretty good game and put up some points on offense and, and put up some yards. But I still think Penn State, you know, we, we talked about last week on one of the shows, Penn State's going to be playing Iowa pretty soon, and that's really what we're looking forward to, and that will separate the wheat from the chaff on, uh, between these two teams. So, um, yeah, anything else to add on our top five? No, I mean, I think – I think by August 9th, these are going to be different. But yeah, I think, October, October, uh, October. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but I also think that the way you do it is, uh, you know, something I've said a couple times tonight. If a team is not, you know, playing like Oklahoma, where they're barely scraping by against bottom feeder teams, or they're playing you know, like Ohio State where they actually lost a game. Um, you you leave them where they're at while you reward the teams that are playing well early in the season. And, and I think that's what we're doing with this top five. Uh, you know, obviously not moving Bama, but then having Oregon and Iowa and Penn State in the top five. That's th- Those guys aren't going to, you know, all three of those teams aren't going to be there at the end of the year. But right now, I think they all are worthy of being a top five team. And that's kind of what we do in our power rankings is keep them week to week, so to speak. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're looking at, at teams that have beaten multiple uh, ranked teams at this point. And Oklahoma's kind of sitting on the fringe looking in. But I think, uh, you know, if one of the, you know, if Penn State or Iowa, whichever one of those teams loses that matchup. Oklahoma's ready to pounce in and jump in. Certainly if Arkansas beats Georgia, they're going to get into this top five next week. So something to, to look at uh, going forward. So we had a, a trade of a 2020 first-round draft pick. And 
I know it seems like it's been five years, but 2020 wasn't that long ago. And uh, that brought us onto this week's kind of main topic, right? Uh, the value and what goes into a draft miss. And so C.J. Henderson was was a top 10 pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2020. And they just traded him this week, I think uh, on, on Monday, to the Carolina Panthers. And in addition to C.J. Henderson, the Jaguars gave up a fifth-round pick. And from the Panthers, they get a third-round pick. It seems like a great value trade for, for Carolina. And it seems like Jacksonville, quite frankly, is dumping Henderson after a year. So, it, frankly, Henderson hasn't played that badly. He had six pass breakups last year and an interception. But there are questions about him that seem to, you know, lead him to being a draft miss. So my question, and we'll start with this, what what goes into a draft miss? Are people that liked C.J. Henderson as a draft prospect wrong about Henderson because of this trade? You know, and uh, I was going to save this for the, the Patreon, but I'll find another hot take uh for later on this week but um i love it bonus hot take yeah one of the names and now i'm now i'm it's the guy that tweeted it's spacing me but uh he's got the the youtube podcast breaks down brett coleman yeah brett coleman okay thank you brett coleman tweeted out something on uh tuesday i believe it was let me see um, yeah, on Tuesday. And he said, the Raiders semi-missing with the fourth overall pick on Pharrell. That's Cleveland Pharrell. But then still getting a likely future All-Pro Ed Rusher in Crosby, Max Crosby, in the fourth round of that same class is a perfect representation of how much of a guessing game the draft really is. And I think this kind of fits in with what we're talking about because yeah. is it really a guessing game to that Cleveland Farrell was never going to be a great pass rusher in the NFL? Yeah, um, so that I mean that that is really what getting to the heart of what we're talking about. It and uh it it's not a guessing game when it comes to a guy like uh, Cleveland Farrell uh being drafted fourth overall like everybody thought that was reaching and then max crosby being good well it speaks to his athleticism we can we can circle back to that but no i think that's a bad take on this because you know with when it will circle back to henderson when it comes down to henderson again this is a guy he could play he tested athletically he played pretty well as a rookie but the question about him and why Jacksonville is is apparently has decided to jettison him is because he there's a question of whether or not he wants to play and nobody who did a draft evaluation last year even within the NFL probably had, was privy to that kind of information that kind of intel especially in 2020 with all the covid stuff well and it goes back to what you talked about like so what leads to a miss injuries um 
you know, if you look at a guy like Andrew Luck, who was re- relatively injury-free, and I, I don't think anybody thinks Andrew Luck was a bust, but he retired because of injury issues. Um, you know, another guy that that just got injured and is injury-prone took over for him, Carson Wentz. Wentz was playing at an MVP level before his injury uh with the Eagles the year they won the Super Bowl. I mean, he was literally the MVP favorite. And then and then he gets injured and never really finds it again. And now he's injury prone. Um, and I would say the injuries have led to him being a disappointment more than anything else because he's just never gotten back to that level. But unknown off the field issues, I those are just I think those are just situations where I don't want to say you shrug your shoulders because obviously you you have intel, but I think it's different for every player. Like a CJ Henderson, there were no murmurs, there were no whispers. But a Robert Kimdiche, we knew that that dude was an odd duck coming out. And you were you were taking a risk. Um in drafting him because he, you know, you weren't sure what you were going to get from him. And you know, even even if there are murmurs and whispers, I think what you're also getting at too is everybody these these GMs, these coaches, they think they're the ones that are going to get the best out of these guys too. I think that's that's a big part of it too. Um, you've got these players that might have question marks about their attitude or their desire but we've seen guys whose desire was questioned to actually pan out and be very good and so the question is are you the coach or are you the gm that's going to get it out of these guys right right and so i mean i think we know the arrogance of the nfl in general right <laughs> like the, yeah i mean absolutely this this kind of gets to the heart of that and so it's interesting that there are teams that are willing to gamble their livelihood, so to speak. They're they're basically saying like, "Look, I'm good enough that that if he plays for my team, he's going to be a guy that that loves the game and works hard and blah blah blah." Um, when that's just, I mean, the reality is that's probably not true. You're it's it's really hard to get a guy to turn turn it on and turn it off um, or turn it on when he's used accustomed to, you know, just being the best player. So, you know, I think that's, I think that's one of the situations where that's the arrogance of the NFL. A guy like Henderson, that's I, to me, we just, we just didn't know. Uh, now I think the third thing in your list is, you know, team situation. And let's be honest, as fans of the Arizona Cardinals and Cleveland Browns, we know that team situation matters. And it's one of those things that has plagued both of our favorite organizations basically forever. Uh, yeah, it's it's been, uh, a, you know, in Cleveland, it was a death knell for, for quarterbacks, for many first-round picks. And I think this point the team situation can go directly into uh the second point where we talk about the desire the want to 
uh, a player, you know, and th- this is what, when we were talking about uh, desire and want to and, and coaches that think they can get the best out of somebody, and, and these two things tie in together, if you think about it, New England, how they've taken on reclamation projects through throughout the Belichick era, maybe the, the strategy is to um, to take on those potential desire issues, those those effort cases after the first team gives up on them to see if you can get the best out of them. And then, you know, like with Carolina, what are they giving up? They're swapping a third for a fifth for C.J. Henderson. If he's good and he could start, this is a great trade for them. And if not, you know, there's a minimal loss for them because they they just traded back a few a couple rounds. And so it, as, as opposed to Jacksonville, which invested a, a top 10 pick on C.J. Henderson, only to find out that they just, you know, can't live with them after less than two years. And I think, you know, it's, we'll, we'll find out. Is Henderson, you know, and I think the whole reason we're talking about this is because people were so quick to, to talk about their draft evals on Henderson. Oh, I, I thought he was going to be good. I guess I was wrong. Oh, I, I had him as a day three pick. Um, I still don't think we, we're finding out about this guy until we see how he does in Carolina, because maybe Carolina can get the best C.J. Henderson out of him, and maybe the, it was the situation in Jacksonville that just caused him to flame out there. And and I say flame out, he's been hurt. He's had a groin injury. Whatever reason, the new staff just it, it was not working out with with C.J. Henderson, and that's why they they dealt him. So these two these last two points, you know, kind of go hand in hand. And uh, injury, is a guy really a bust if he just gets so hurt that he can't play anymore? I think, I think I think it's different when you talk about, like, something that you and I talk about quite a bit, and it's when they're consistently injured or, like, they're coming off an injury. Um, who's, the, who's the edge rusher that got drafted, like, super late coming off multiple knee injuries by one of, like... Oh, it was a couple seasons ago, too. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I'll think of it as we go on. Well, but Well, like Tank Carradine yeah, that, had torn his well, ACL right before the draft, and, and San Francisco uh, still drafted him. They've, they've, San Francisco was notorious for a while for drafting guys. Marshawn Lattimore, um, Thompson, the offensive lineman from, from Clemson. They were drafting a torn ACL guy every year. Um, if you draft in a guy who's all, who's actively hurt at the time of the draft, that's not usually going to work out for you. We've talked about that back on the old show. But, um, you know, if you draft a guy who's not been hurt and then all of a sudden he starts having injuries as a pro, that's like Paris Campbell, for example, from, from uh, Indianapolis. They took him in the second round. He was never hurt at Ohio State, and he's been hurt. Ever since they've picked him in Indianapolis, is is he a bust? Should they have known that? They don't have a crystal ball. I mean, that that's kind of unfair. So I think what we're getting at here is when you're talking about draft misses, make sure. I, I think we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves as draft Knicks if we're missing because a guy who's never hurt now all of a sudden is injury prone or a guy who played well in college is all of a sudden – a guy who doesn't care about doesn't love the game and we didn't know about it like let's let's not be too hard on ourselves we can identify and we'll talk about this more 
as the show progresses down uh, through the season. If don't miss on guys like Cleland Farrell, where you know what's the difference between missing on a, a C.J. Henderson or John Ross, who you know he I guess he was hurt in college, but he he played healthy his whole senior year, as opposed to missing on a guy like Cleland Farrell or Caleb McGarry. These two guys aren't playing too well as pros, but they had obvious, measurable athletic limitations, right? Those, to me, those are the real misses. And guys like Henderson and Ross are guys you could take a chance on because they're supreme athletes and they're good college players. Well, and the guy I was thinking of was Dominique Easley, who. Oh, yeah. Uh, people that love. That takes us way back. Yeah, that was 2014. That's why I couldn't remember it was that long ago. <laughs> right, I and I was he, I was very adamant that that he shouldn't be drafted in the first round because his knees were shot in college. Right, and and people just thought that oh well, like he's the neck, you know, he's going to be fantastic, and it's like no, that's not how it works, man. Like these guys, for every you know. Uh, Willis McGahey, who blows his knee up on film and comes back and has a fantastic career, you have Marshawn Lattimore. You have, you know, you have all those guys, and it just, you, it's not worth the risk, it's, especially in the first round. Um, you know, if and, you want to take I'll that, even, even I'll even concede though with a guy like Easley, like when he was playing, he was really good, and he had. Um, he looked like he had that type of athleticism that you need, but he was hurt. He couldn't test, you know. But it's I have more of a problem with misses on guys like Cleveland Farrell. Um, I'll I'll say another Raider, Damon Arnett, who they took in the first round, and then uh, a McGarry who had these athletic and these obvious measurable and athletic limitations that you should that should be flags to you that early in the draft. Let's uh, take a look at this Thursday and Friday's game. We gotta. I mean, we'll have another show out probably Friday morning, so we don't want to. We don't want to make you listen to that that quickly, you know, just in case. So, uh, when we look at this weekend, there's some. There's two really big games. Um, the first one is Virginia at Miami. Uh, for whatever reason, they continue. To give Miami the benefit of the doubt in these games, um, Miami is a four-point favorite hosting Virginia, or yeah, hosting Virginia. Brennan Armstrong's putting up huge, huge, huge numbers, but man, he's kind of got a pop can arm, doesn't he? <laughs> it looks like he's throwing a shot put when he's throwing. He's a lefty. Um, I think we've talked about this, but. I'll recap. I mean, you don't have a great history of left-handed starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, if you love lefties, you're going to say Steve Young or Boomer Sison, Jim Plunkett. I mean, not Jim Plunkett, Kenny Stabler. If you, but you know, Michael Vick was a lefty, right? But uh, this guy's not any of those guys, and uh, he is prolific in terms of his passing yardage. And he's also PFF's top-graded quarterback right now, which 
reminds me of when they had um, the old Bowling Green quarterback, Matt Johnson, as one of their uh, favorite quarterbacks back when they first started doing college football stuff and draft stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't think uh, the more I look at Brandon Armstrong, the less I think of him as an NFL draft prospect. And I just find him to be a very, you know, solid college quarterback. But uh, great question. Why why does – why do the odds makers continue to give Miami the benefit of the doubt? Uh, their quarterback, De'Aaron King, is, hasn't played very well. And uh, they just don't have a lot of – you know, they have some, some decent draft prospects. Uh, Charleston Rambo, the wide receiver transfer from Oklahoma. They've got Will Mallory. He looks like a pretty good tight end prospect. And, and then the uh, offensive tackle, Zion Nelson – but uh, they're they're four point favorites, and they haven't played well as a team. Do you think they're going to cover that? No, I like uh, Virginia in this game. Uh, actually, straight up, um, I you know Miami. I believe they won this last game, um, but I don't think Mr. King played. Uh, yeah, they beat Central Connecticut State sixty nine to zero. Who but, knew that was a school? But yeah, the uh, Jake Garcia and Tyler Van Dyke were the quarterbacks. They didn't play, and so maybe you know. And I think talked, King's still set to play this week, though. I think that was kind of like an Ohio State situation where they they were resting a guy who's had who's been a little banged up, right? Yeah, I just King has been very. Um, you can see that the, you know, we talked about injuries. The injuries have zapped him of his his athleticism, which made him so dynamic, you know, coming in to the season. Um, yep, and I'll correct myself. He, he's still questionable for this okay. game, but at least there's a possibility. But, you know, uh, for our listeners, Seth has been texting me for a couple weeks saying that I, I run better than Derek King. I can tell you flat out that's false. I, I don't, and I wouldn't. But the fact that it's even the topic of a text message between the two of us tells you that he King is, like you said, Seth, he's just not running like the guy we saw playing for the Houston Cougars a couple of years ago. Yeah, and so if King's playing, I'm taking Virginia. I just don't think he has any juice left. And, and it's unfortunate because he was a fun player, especially, you know, a fun college player and he was I'm really glad though he was able to take advantage of the the um, new NIL stuff because he's getting a ton of money uh, and I don't think he's going to even get a shot at the next level unless he comes back and he he's healthy but like playing at the way he has been I just don't see how he, you know, any team can waste any time with him because he just, he he's not able to move like he used to, and then you know that basically makes him a one-dimensional passer who's not, I mean, the best quarterback when you're talking about a pocket guy that's under f- six feet tall. He's under five foot ten. Uh, yeah, it's a tough but fair I was trying assessment. to be nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's that's a tough but fair assessment. I I think. Derek King is is going. He's ticketed for undrafted free agency at this point. Um, I think Brennan Armstrong probably is too. Frankly, 
uh, despite his big stats that he's posting. So, but Armstrong, but I will is, take, uh, Armstrong is a junior, though, isn't he? So, he, I mean, he can go back. No, no, no. He's a senior. Is he a senior? Yeah. And, and um, you know, I think I will go against you on this bit. I will take Miami to win and cover in this game. But, um, I again, like, when we're talking about draft prospects in this game, I don't uh, – so this is where – Back to what class Armstrong is in. This is where the uh, COVID things trip us up because he's actually a, yeah, he's actually a fourth year junior. So, Seth, you were correct. I was wrong on that. Um, But regardless of what class he's in, I don't uh, find him to be that appealing to me as a draft prospect. So, um, PFF grades be damned. Um, I'm not buying him. But big, I will buy Miami minus four over Virginia. Yeah. Big, big, big 10 game this weekend as two undefeated teams match up on Friday night, October 1st. What a way to kick off October football, man. Like, that's a, it's actually an exciting game. Iowa is at Maryland. Mm-hmm. And Iowa, the number five team in the country, the number four team in our rankings, um, Man, they have a shot to really just get ready for this massive matchup with Penn State. Um, obviously, Penn State's got to take care of business on their end against Indiana, but they're hosting Indiana on Saturday. I I worry slightly about this game for Iowa. Um, yeah, like look, Iowa's only three and a half point favorites on, on the, the road. road. And it's Maryland, a night game. It's prime time. Maryland's and, uh, been playing extremely well. Now you know they have. It's kind exactly... of shocking that Maryland's not ranked because they are four and zero. They've been winning good games, right? Right. I mean, they they beat West Virginia and Illinois. Um, they rolled over Howard and Kent State. Kent State, I thought, would have given them a little more, but um, hey, Iowa State lost to a uh, to a MAC team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, right? Four and zero, four and zero, and you've got no, and they're of, uh, and they're playing they're playing extremely well. They've got a yeah. lot of offensive. They've got some, they've got some legitimate prospects um, on their team, including a wide receiver uh, Dante Demas, who's a guy that I really liked going back a couple years. And uh, I know Raheem Jarrett, I put him on our show sheet, but he's only a sophomore, but. They, you know, they've got some legit talent. And, and I wanted to ask you, is Tua Tagovailoa's little brother, is he a legit prospect? He's playing like one. Yeah, I think in terms of legit prospects, and again, what's his great? He's a senior. He's supposed to be a senior, right? I think he's a junior. Man, yeah. COVID has us all. Sorry, guys. We, you know, we have... Uh, it's, it's tough to keep up with what grade, who's a super senior or super junior and all that stuff, but I, I think he is a junior. Okay, and so I don't think he's going to come out this year. I don't think he should come out this year, but he's playing like a, a day three pick, and I don't mean that in a negative way because before this season when you talked about him, you said he was an undra- – and I don't mean – you isn't Justin, but just we. You talked about him as an undraftable prospect. He is, and now, in fact, a junior, by the way. 
okay, and now you look at him and you go, this is a guy that looks like he can be a, a solid backup developmental type of guy in the league. The problem with developmental is unless you've got a quarterback in-house, uh, it's really tough to find the time and the, the energy to develop them. Um, but, you know, you get him behind a Baker Mayfield. You get him behind uh, a Patrick Mahomes, a guy that's there that, you know, you don't have to worry about it, but he might turn into a guy that can play for you um, and that can become a viable backup in the NFL. And, and you know, that's that, that really is a important position now with how much you're seeing – guys um you know go down and miss games especially with the the addition of the 17th game as well now yeah and the bears they might already be on their third quarterback of the year so that speaks to it you know uh Tua's brother Otalia is uh, a smaller guy he's 5'11 200 pounds that's what they have him listed at but again i want you guys to watch Dante Demas He's the leading receiver right now for Maryland in a, what's a pretty talented skill player group. Uh, they've got uh, Tavon Fleet Davis as well at running back, and they've got a couple other, you know, in addition to uh, Jarrett at receiver, they have another good receiver in Johnson. So it's a, a pretty good skill player group, a pretty good offense that's been assembled there. They're at home. But Iowa, they've got the best, possibly the best offensive lineman in the draft in uh in uh, Taylor Linderbaum, their center, and then they've got a running back Tyler Goodson, and one of my favorites is uh, tight end Sam Laporta. I think he's carrying on a good tradition of Iowa tight ends. And then you've got two good corners in Riley Moss and Matt Hankins. I still like Iowa in this game. It's a it's a good test for them because there is going to be a, an amped up night primetime crowd at Maryland for a 4-0 team. But ultimately, I like Iowa to prevail and cover the three-and-a-half points. Yeah, and I'm going to go with you on that. I agree. Um, it's a it's a big game. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think in the end you're going to see uh, Iowa win this game, something like 24-20. to And that would be just edging out and uh, winning against the spread. One more game to preview. My Hamlin Pipers lost last week to Carlton, and they dropped to two and one on the season. But they've got a game at home this week on Saturday at uh, two p.m. Eastern against zero and one Saint Scholastica. So I, I think my Pipers are going to rebound. Go Pipers! Hamlin will improve to three and one after that battle with Saint Scholastica. So. We got a hot take, and our hot take this week, we're going back to the Jamar Chase. Well, I know we talked about, we did a series of hot takes, I think, about Jamar Chase after week one, but now Chase has four touchdowns in three games, and uh, I think all of them are over 30 yards, or at least three of them are. So we'll revisit this one from John Helmkamp. And John Helmkamp is an NFL analyst at PFN 365. And I think he used to be at Deadspin. But Mr. Helm, Helmkamp 
was uh, given his receiver rankings prior to the season back on August 13th. His rookie receiver rankings for Dynasty had Jamar Chase coming at 6th behind Amon Ross St. Brown there at 5. He had Devontae Smith, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, Jalen Waddell, and Amon Ross St. Brown all over Jamar Chase. Somebody said, why? What's your take on Chase? And he said, essentially, I think he's a one-trick pony. I love that one. One-trick pony that is successful when he can win with physicality at the line and win contested catches. A lot of people compare him to Des Bryant, but I think literally everything has to go right for him to be successful in that manner. So it appears, Seth, that literally everything is going right for him right now, including the fact that he does separate and actually can catch the ball. Who would have thought? You know, and this this podcast was a big – we're big Jalen Waddle fans. We still are. Um, so when we talk about this, we mean no disrespect. But Jalen Waddle has 22 receptions for – 167 yards. He's got one touchdown. He's fumbled the ball. Is he playing running back? What is that? He's fumbled the ball twice. In the last game, he had 12 receptions for 58 yards. So to your point, he was used basically like a running back. Again, we like him. This isn't to, you know, negate him or anything of that nature. But, um, you know, sometimes you look at it and you go – all right, well, maybe I was trying to be too um, counterculture in this one with the, <laughs> with the Jamar Chase hate. Well, I think not only that, but, I mean, these other guys, Rashad Bateman, he's been uh, he's been out with an injury. But I think, I think it, you'd be hard-pressed to see Bateman succeeding in Baltimore's offense the way Chase has succeeded in Cincinnati's. And Amon Ross St. Brown, I mean, he was like a fourth-round pick. So – yeah, this is a situation where Dynasty rankings got too cute and relied too much on preseason football, and I beg you all going into the future to disregard preseason football 100% and wholly. Um, in fact, you might even, I might even say, don't watch it because it's a waste of time. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, and let's just be honest. Jaylen I'll tell Warren. you, as a... Is you no talked about R- our fandom. Rondell Moore either. So. Yeah, right. You talked about our fandom earlier, and I'll tell you this. This is why I truly, um, you know, this is really all I need to say about preseason football. One preseason after a couple games, Brandon Whedon had completed over 80% of his passes, and that was back in the, uh, I think back when, um, I can't remember if it was Chudzinski being the head coach or possibly uh, under – you know, I don't even remember. The Browns have had too many coaches for me to keep track of. But the point is, Brandon Whedon was not good. And uh, the 80% completion percentage in a couple of preseason games did not reflect his performance. And we talked about with Chase, when people were talking about him dropping passes, he was trying to reach behind him to catch passes from Brandon Allen. He wasn't playing with his old teammate, Joe Burrow. Obviously, he and Burrow have a connection. Obviously, Chase can separate and catch the ball. So, um, you know, it's it's a little early to be doing victory laps, but I think not so much so when it's a guy who was so obviously good as Chase. 
Anything else before we get out of here? No, just uh, please subscribe to us on Patreon. We've got a uh, new show every Thursday usually, and it's uh, two bucks a month to get that. And for four bucks a month, you get the articles as well. I'm, I've been doing one every Monday. So um, if you if that's not your bag, then uh, just subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, etc. Give us a five-star review. And thank you, as always, for listening, and thanks for all your support. And that'll do it from us tonight. We'll be back later this week for the Patreon episode. Make sure you subscribe. As Justin said, you get our fantastic second podcast of the week, but you also get all of Justin's articles as well. Uh, And we'll continue to do that for our subscribers. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back later this week on the Patreon and back next week for another free episode. Have a good night, everybody. We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2 a month for our bonus episodes, $4 a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A read, yeah. That's it. Exactly. (laughs)